Hi, I'm Tyra G, your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal women and all of you who love them. Yes, you mothers, daughters, grand and great-grandmothers, fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, here we dig deep and we come up strong. For those of you joining us for the first time each month, we explore a new theme inspired by you. Yes, I, I said you. We bravely walk into places where tradition told us that there's some things we just don't talk about, but not at this table. And no matter how hard judgment knocks, it cannot come in. Beloved here, we live beyond the wreckage. Every week we experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other. We share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week we start right where we are. I am so excited about how this show is progressing. Would you believe we are in our 10th month of proof that dreams can come true? Frankly speaking with Tyra G was one of my most precious dreams. And I thank God for the remembrance of each and every one of you for your gifts of ideas, your presence, your encouragement. You know you inspire me. I can't do this without you. Thank you so much. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we are webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, should you miss us, you can catch our podcast. Just go to YouTube, type in Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Or if you feel like just connecting with me offline, you know that's one of my favorite things. It's easy. Email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm listening. You know, a few weeks ago, I had dinner with a few friends, and we happened to walk into a conversation about how difficult it is sometimes for us to be authentic and vulnerable with each other, and sometimes particularly with those we love. Later, I was sitting alone on my couch at home when a vivid, difficult memory barged into my consciousness. And I want to share it with you because it's also a wonderful example of how important it is to have someone, some friend that you can trust with you when you cannot trust you with yourself and your decisions. It's also an example of what I now call courageous conversations, which by the way is the theme for the next two months. It had begun with me still grieving. Mother had only been gone two months. I hadn't learned how to live without her. When daddy died, we had practice with each other how to keep him alive and keep us alive with him gone. Anyway, I was still struggling. And my husband was struggling because he had not learned how to support someone through a grieving process. I had returned to work at IBM. I traveled every week. One morning I woke up in a hotel in Atlanta and my pillowcase was just totally bloody. The next hour involved hotel doctors, phone calls to my IBM clients, my husband, my primary care physician at home. Two days later, sitting in my primary care physician's office waiting for test results, my husband and I were silent. The next sound I heard was me yelling, what do you mean I have a brain tumor? I was indignant. My way dealing with the news was to deny it and to continue to plan my business trip to Connecticut on Sunday. My husband's way of dealing with it was to take my x-rays and all the other tests to a neurosurgeon for a second opinion. I remember 
we both ignored the elephant in the room the entire weekend. We just stayed socially busy. And on Monday morning, I was on a plane. I met my colleague in Connecticut and we proceeded with our plans for our customer. Of course, I kept my news to, to myself. My husband, meanwhile, had been burning up the phone lines with urgent messages that I needed to call him immediately. I didn't, not until later that evening. He was so frustrated, he yelled at me. He said, baby, you have to come home. You need brain surgery, surgery immediately. Now, you know I'm in denial, right? But the next morning between meetings, I casually shared with my colleague the, the absurdity that I had a brain tumor and I needed surgery. Connie, that was my friend, just kind of looked at me like I told her I bought a new dress. She was also a great actress. When we met for lunch, she had ordered a bottle of wine. Now, you know IBMers don't drink wine in the middle of a critical sales process. So I know I had a huge question on my face and in my mind as well as in my heart. Then Connie spoke to me and she said this. She said, drink some wine and listen to what I have to say. And I did. She said, listen, I've spoken with our customer. I will cover for you while you're away. I have your bags packed in the car. I've changed your plane reservations and called your husband with the reserved time to meet you at the airport. I called our IBM manager, and when we leave here, I'm taking you to the airport. Then she reached for my hand and said, Ty, you have to stop running. You and Johnny need each other now. You have to talk. This was Connie's courageous conversation with me. At first I just stared, but what happened? And I know this has happened to you. Connie gave me permission to be vulnerable and the tears started to flow. They did not stop until I got off the plane in Florida, ran into my husband's arms and realized he was crying too. But the conversations that we had this, this weekend were silence, yet it was hard for us to stop holding each other. We realized that our courageous conversations were taking place in our head. We loved each other so much, we had not practiced how to live without each other. The tumor I had was delicate surgery, nine hours. My husband didn't tell me till later that I was the only of the five that would be fully recovered. Now, we all have seasons and times that require courage to take us from one moment to the next. So much is happening today that is uncomfortable to talk about. And yet, we have to. We have to step up to the plate. And the only courageous conversation you have is with yourself. You must learn to do that. For the next two months, we're going to pause in a place where we can be mirrors for one another to better understand topics that don't make it to the dinner table. We're going to look beyond the words like human trafficking, domestic violence, child abuse, opioid po poisoning, into the potential causes and effects and required related courageous conversations. After the break, you'll meet a woman, a phenomenal, courageous woman, who faced breast cancer, not once, but twice. She will share conversations she had with herself to keep going and to support the others who needed to support her. Then, I love this part, she will share how she's making lemonade out of lemons. You're going to enjoy meeting her. I want you to stay close now. And we are back. Let us talk. Uh, the name of my guest is actually a description of how she comes across and how she lives. And I want you to meet Ms. Sunny Crow. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm just blessed to be sitting across from you. Same here. I, um, I know I told you I love for my guests to introduce themselves because there's so much in our voices that tell who we are and how we speak. So we pretend. So Sunny, you are a best-selling novel. And I want you to tell us what we would see if we opened your book to the introduction. And I want you to make it sound like something where we just don't want to put the book down. 
Well, that's that's interesting. When you open the book to a novel and you somehow meet Sonny, you yes. meet a woman who has a burst of energy. Yes. A burst of laughter, a burst of forgiveness, a burst a burst of fairness and understanding and being objective. Yes. A burst of just being a wonderful mother, a daughter, a sister, the uh, just a burst of just a light that shines and it will just never if I had my way, it will never go dark. I heard that. It will always stay light and sunny. Now, I'm of the mind yes. that we don't just appear on this earth and become who we are. So to be able to say what you just said to the audience, there had to be some heroes or sheroes or somewhere along or some experiences that got you from the crib to being the light that you are. Well, it definitely begins with my mom, who certainly gave birth to me. Um, the strength that I witnessed from her uh-huh. growing up was just phenomenal. Um, how she was very poised and very calming, mm-hmm. um, but she was powerful in her way of stance mm-hmm. and when she entered a room. And she was a quiet, not necessarily a force, but just a quiet source. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it began after that, certainly my Nana, I called her my Nana, which is my mom's mom. Okay. All she right. would always tell me, sit up straight, don't you gum, your word is your bond, mm-hmm. you are a lady, behave mm-hmm. as such, and smile, and the world will smile with you. And that is so true. And I was like, and she embedded that in me uh-huh. day in and day out, day out, because I spent a lot of time with her growing up. Mm-hmm. And so... Then it was my my matern- maternal um, grandmother, mm-hmm. and she was a woman of just mightiness. She would cook. She would clean. So she taught me all of that. Um, just being good to my body was very important um, with her, and so she definitely shared that with me. And then she always shared her story with me. How important is that? That was very important yes. because it molded me. It taught me who I was. Uh-huh. It taught me the importance of who I am and what I shall be. Now, was she, I, I'm trying to get a visual because right now you've talked about three strong women. Yes. And there is a tradition, and we seem to carry that forth with our stories. Yes. Okay, so... Your maternal grandmother was, you said, the strength, teaching you the cooking, the cl- those kinds of things. Could you imagine where she learned that? Yes, because of the story she shared. Okay. It was certainly from her mom uh-huh. and her dad. Okay. She, she held her father on a very high standard. He taught her everything. Wow. And that was inter- interest, interesting uh-huh. to say because this was in the 1900s. And where were they geographically? And they were in South Carolina. My folks are South Carolinians. Yes, they were Maysville, South Carolina, Sumner County. Yeah. Yes. 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 You know, <laughs> I'm smiling because there's so many stories that and so many people I have met recently that start with, I'm from, or my people are from South Carolina, but the 1900s for her to have a tradition like that with a husband who supported her in that that tradition, that's awesome. It was awesome. Just to hear my grandmother tell me stories, I just find myself always wanting to go to Maysville, South Carolina. Have you been? I have been one time. What was it? Okay. All right. Here you are. This is your first time. In your mind, while she was telling you stories, you were imagining when you finally went, what did it feel like? When you set your foot on that soil, what was it like for you? And that's amazing that you said that. I would actually walk barefoot. And I, to, to date, I walk barefoot. So I was able to really plant my feet oh. on where my grandfather actually went blind because he had diabetes but 
even though he had diabetes and he went blind, he mm-hmm. was able to still farm his his land. Yes, yes, and yes. And so I was able to go on that land and see the house that he raised his nine children in. And I was just, it just was breathtaking. Yes. It was beautiful. I belong there. Well, I you felt do. a sense of belong, belongness. I really felt really connected to that root inside mm-hmm. of me it was just it was just awesome it was well awesome you know experience. the spirit comes with you yes you walk the soil yes. you walk now you're back yes. but you brought it with you yes absolutely well do you carry the stories forward yes and tell the stories tell the stories to my son oh yes i only have one son mm-hmm. yes so i definitely tell the stories i keep them in my head but what i will do at some point I'm going to start jotting them down. I wish I actually uh, taped her, videotaped her telling all those stories. Yes. They were just phenomenal stories, her courageousness. Um, she was very open about her life. She was an open book. And that was very um, unusual because my mom's mom, which is my nana, mm-hmm. did not share anything. Mm-hmm. There I was would, a privacy. It was a privacy. Yes, yes. But with my grandmother on the other end, she shared a lot of her life. Now, Sonny, you owe it mm-hmm. to her and to whomever else has planted those stories in your heart. Mm-hmm. You've got to document. Yes. I mean, you, you really do because yes. we're missing a lot of stories. Yes. And that is just wonderful. It was wonderful. So you talk to your son, and um, how does he receive the stories? Well, I necessarily don't tell them stories through what I learned from my grandmother's stories. Mm-hmm. I teach him affirmations. Okay. I give him daily affirmations. Talk a little bit more about that. So when he was probably about six months old, mm-hmm. um, a lady stopped me along the street. I was just taking him for a walk. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I lived in Montgomery County, so it was really park you know it was like a nice huge park Mm -hmm. and she just abruptly stopped me and she said oh he's such a beautiful baby and she said you know what as you teach him his name you teach him that he's the best the brightest and the smartest I want you to tell him that every waking moment of his life like you teach him his name you teach him that he will be a doctor Linnell he would be the best, the brightest, and the smartest. So I started from that point on how important affirmations are. Yes, yes, yes. And so I take the stories and the and, and the inputs of my grand and the injects from my grandparents, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I turn them to affirmations for him. And has he absorbed that? Yes. If you tell him he's nine, if you say, What are you? He said, I'm the best, the brightest, and the smartest. I, I said, What are you? Yo, I'm a leader, not a follower. I this said, is wonderful. What has God give, not given you? He said, the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And then my sister injected to him this this uh, couple of months prior to him going to school. And what are you? A king. And that's going to make a world yes. of difference no matter what yes. he runs up against. I have seen yes. the result of that kind of courage. And the point is, mm-hmm. with the affirmations, you're setting expectations. Yes. And what I have learned as an educator, as a teacher and a principal, children rise to expectations. And I think sometimes we miss out when we're talking to our little ones, even, you know, as they're coming up, to say, I expect you to do this, this, and this. And they'll try their best, and they will exceed our expectations. I am just beaming with a smile because... I tell him that this is what I expect from you. Yes. Mommy may not always be here. Daddy may not always be here. But this is what we expect from you. Yes. And so we know what you're capable of. And yes. you also know that too. So it's amazing how you said that and it just resonates in my life every day about giving him expectations. Nothing that is really far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Just letting him know that what God it's has. possible. For you, it's for you, and it's possible. Yes. Yes. Now, you do understand what we just went through. You have courageous conversations with your son. Your grandmothers Mm -hmm. had courageous conversations with you. Yes. 
And they, it's that deposit. Mm-hmm. And what I try to, to say intergenerationally, we owe it. It's like playing, paying tag. You're it now to the next generation. It's up to you. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I'm loving this. Yes. I'm absolutely loving this. And we're supposed to be talking about <clears throat> another set of conversations you had, you received, and you, you managed. Yes. And uh, why don't we start with the first time? Sure. Can I double back just a little bit? Sure, whatever okay. you want to talk about. That's why we're here. Yes. So a year prior to me being diagnosed, I lost my brother, my only brother. Um, to a violent act. Oh. Um, and so with that, I believe my grieving was a diff- was different than everyone normally grieves, if that's a, a, a way to put that. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, I was um, courageously seeking who was responsible for the early, you know, demise of, you know. I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. And so fast forwarding, mm-hmm. we were able to convict and so forth good I found a knot in my breast about a year right after uh-huh. and it was pretty huge because I'm a small woman yes, so it you was are. pretty <laughs> so it was pretty you know huge and you can see it mm-hmm. and um, just to the touch you will be frightened and so one of my girlfriends um, Luan I shared it with her and she looked at it and she said you have to go Look, mm-hmm. have that looked at right away, mm-hmm. and so I was, of course, the first reaction is to be frightened because you just don't know what this foreign thing is right. in your body, right? But you know it doesn't belong there, right? And so, at the time, I was with Kaiser, and I'm not sure if I can say I, that on air, but it's okay, it's okay. Uh, For those who are international listeners and national listeners, that is a medical provider here in the Virginia area, as it is in Florida and a number of other places. Yes. And so Kaiser, the healthcare, Mm -hmm. um, they were a bit um, taken back as well, but they didn't know how to treat me because I was 29. And so with some of the laws that we face in the United States of America, a mammogram is not readily available to someone who's never been diagnosed with cancer and so young at yes, the age of 29. Yes, yes, yes. And so they were sending me to have sonograms and so forth, but I never had a mammogram mm-hmm. to figure out what this knot was. So they end up giving me an ultrasound. They knew it was something, and then I end up going to see a surgeon. Mm-hmm. And so the surgeon tells me just by looking at me, Looking at me now, this is important, looking at me that it was a fibroadenoma, which is a benign And you tumor. said looking, not examining, not just looking just at. looking at me and said it's a benign, it's not cancer, and it's a fibroadenoma. So I trusted and believed. And he said we will have surgery, set the surgery date, and that happened. And so the day before my 30th birthday, I got a call back to come see mm-hmm. the doctor which was a little unusual because it was before my you know my post-op checkup yeah. and so I go in and they tell me that they sent the knot to the pathologist and it came back cancerous and so I'm in the room at that very moment frightened now is the gentleman that told you it was benign in that room with you at that time he was it? the one who shared the story with me I see and so at that moment as you can imagine, tears are flowing. When mm-hmm. you hear the C word, Yes, you just don't know what that outcome looks like. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot of things going on in my brain. Here I am about to turn 30. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad lost their son just a year ago. How do I tell them this? How do I tell my family? Mm-hmm. So I have a lot going on in my head. How am I going to fight this? What am I up against? So... He's telling me all of these things, and as you can imagine, it's not, I'm not absorbing. I'm Absolutely. Not, I'm just hearing all kind of all kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so I did have a dear friend who had went to the doctors with me, and he came in and he consoled me, and then he was able to, you know, bring some clarity as to what the doctor was sharing with me. Gotcha. And so 
it was stage two breast cancer. Um, I had to have either a mastectomy. They didn't even put lumpectomy on the table, but a mastectomy, and I had to have chemotherapy, two different kinds of chemotherapy. So it was called aggressive chemotherapy yes, yes, along know. with radiation. Now, I want to put a comma there for a minute because what I'm sensing is, and you're telling the story, so often we are unaware of the language around various situations that happen to women. We don't talk about it. Our grandparents didn't talk about feeling your breast, you know, and cancer and cholesterol. They didn't have those conversations. So we grow up through the generations ignorant. And when you put something in front of us we've never seen before and know that uh, this doesn't belong in my body, that triggers the only kind of response we know how to have, and it's fear most of the time. Yes, and absolutely, absolutely. And then remember, let's go back to my nana who didn't share. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. There and it is. And so I remember when she was diagnosed, and she told my mom and my uncle, they closed the door on me. Mm. I do remember that, and so I knew something was wrong with my nana, but didn't know what. Right. And she didn't know. I, I had a doctor on. And most of the time we don't understand how important that information is and how life-saving that information yes. is. And we put it in a basket called shame. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't know. The door was closed. The door was closed. And I just mom, I just remember something was wrong with Nana. Okay. But at some point they did share with me. But I'm about 12 years old at okay. that moment. Okay. And so didn't know the severity. But she, and I, hap, I happened to see her live a, a very fruitful life thereafter. Okay. Did she have surgery? She had surgery and then she took tamoxifen for five years. Okay. 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 And so fast forward and I'm in the room. With this doctor. With this doctor. They said nothing was wrong with you. They said nothing was wrong. Did not biopsy it. Yes. Oh, is that a, yeah, he did not take a biopsy of uh -huh. the tumor, and which would have really saved some time and probably really saved me a, some fear that I yes. had was struck with at that moment because by the time they took the knot out, 12 of my lymph nodes were positive. So it was the cancer was moving aggressively yes, through yes. my body. And so at that moment, I go home. I, don't, I think I didn't share with anybody, but I went immediately to my friend Lawan mm -hmm. to her home. I just couldn't go home and face just sitting in the house alone. Yes. So I needed something, and she, you know, needed someone comforting, just reassurance and so forth. As Courageous we always conversations. Do. Courageous conversations. Yes. And the first thing she shared with me is that I don't know what you're going through, but I know somebody who does. And so she gave me the person's name and number. She actually called the lady. Uh -huh. And the lady just was giving me reassurance that all would be well. Just make sure you follow your appointments and so forth uh -huh. and so forth. But the grandmother who shared always told me to go for a second and third opinions. Thank you, Granny. Thank you, Grandma. <laughs> yeah. And so that was the first thing I said I was going to do. Okay. When I woke up that morning to find out how I can have a second opinion. Mm -hmm. And so I called Kaiser the Healthcare and they gave me a lady to have a second opinion. I didn't have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And then I learned later on I didn't even have to pay for the third opinion. So I went for the second opinion. and mm -hmm. But the, the main final decision I wanted to make was did I have to have a mastectomy or a lumpectomy. Gotcha. And so she looked at me, a woman courageous woman looked at me and says you can have a lumpectomy because having a mastectomy versus a lumpectomy will not equal you life gotcha I was like wow mm -hmm. and so I took that I banked it in you know I put mm -hmm. it in the pocket and then I went to my third opinion okay but the funny thing God just ordains or orchestrates everything yes he does and so I'm working I have phenomenal women that are around I'm only working with women and they're phenomenal. Yes. So I tell them, you know, that I was recently, I was diagnosed. So they just open arms, the, whatever I needed. They just say, I have your back, whatever you need. But at that moment, that 
particular office was dissolving and they were trying to place me somewhere so I wouldn't be without a job. Which was kind. Which was kind. Yes. Yes. And so I go work for two gentlemen. And so at that moment, I had to go tell one of the gentlemen that I was recently diagnosed. Uh And he says, I got the best doctor for you because my mom just went through that and she's phenomenal. And she lives, she works right there where you live. And her name is Cheryl Hendrick. Okay. She's one of the best doctors in the DMV area treating breast cancer. Look at that. And I'm like, wow. And so for some odd reason, every moment, it brought clarity to me that all would be well. Yes, yes, yes. And so quite naturally, I followed up with her and had the third opinion. And they told me, have a lumpectomy, mm-hmm. have the chemotherapy. After that, have the radiation. So at that moment, I go home. I get on my knees, turn the phone off, turn all the lights, and I prayed continuously to ask God to save me. Because mm-hmm. I didn't want my parents to go through the same thing. That I didn't want them to have to bury me, their only child left. I understand. And at that moment of prayer, I felt God said, I got you. I felt that. And so the fight at that moment was on. Yeah. It was on. Yeah. The fight was the on. The struggle was over. The and struggle the fight was, was on. The struggle was over and the fight was on. Yeah. Yes. yes. Got that. Yes. Got that. And so as I journey through treatment, you know, I cut my hair to a short haircut so I can mm-hmm. feel without hair at some, you know. Mm-hmm. And then my first treatment that very next day, I believe, I lost all my hair. You could just, mm-hmm. hair gone. So I let that go. Mm-hmm. And so I still went to work. I wore hair wraps to get to work and look beautiful. And um, I just kept pushing. Yeah. Um, I was very sick. Um, I had to get myself shots. Um, just just in and out of doctors, mm-hmm. breast surgeon, oncologist, gynecologist, mm-hmm. blood work being taken to make sure that I could take the chemotherapy. Right, right, right. Uh-huh. Um, just giving myself, again, I, like I said, shots every day so I can keep my white blood count up so mm-hmm. I can be able to have the chemotherapy. But then I would take these long rides to Rockville because, mind you, I'm still with Kaiser at the moment, uh-huh. to Rockville. And I felt like I was going to get sick because, you know, chemotherapy, definitely one of the side effects is, you know, being very um, sick. So, but they had to give me Benadryl so I wouldn't, you know. All over everybody. All over everybody. Yeah. And so I'm just going through that for probably two, three months. I'm already tiny. Yes. (laughs) And I'm down to 90 pounds because I can't keep anything on my stomach. But the fight was in me. But you were alive. I was alive. And so yeah. every day I woke it was a very, very scary moment. A yeah. Very scary moment. Now, um, is your mom I'm sure she's in this with you. Yeah, she's in this with me. And uh she was pouring her strength. Yes. And the, my mom again is a quiet force. And so she learns how to tap into resources that she can't somehow do for herself. So Okay. She believed in our pastor, and to this day, he's one of, I just just love him, but his name was Pastor Stephen E. Young, and he came to pray over me. And so she was she was definitely there in that sense. Okay. She was my prayer she warrior. She was a connector. She was connector and the prayer warrior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she believed in the power of prayer. And so it was just excellent. You know, um, I'm listening to you and... Um, I understand chemo. I've been there. And the the thing that when we get on the other side of through, yes. we can look back and say, you know what? I had health insurance. Thank God. You know what? I got a second opinion. Yes. I got a third opinion. Yes. You know what? There was that dude that had a mother yes. who gone to who said stepped up and said, Go. Yes. And she took you. So it's hard to get to what we're talking about now. When you're going through. Yes. And uh, the woman who said, hey, do what you're supposed to do. And you listened. I listened. You know, uh, I have a hard head sometimes, so I want to congratulate you for listening. Well, thank you. (laughs) You're quite welcome. (laughs) So, okay. um, You got through that. Yes. And then 
What happened next? Well, living healthy, was able to have a son after they told me I couldn't have children. How about that? So God is just awesome. Yeah. He shows up He's the best. He's the brightest. He's the smartest. He's a king. Yes, Yes, he he is. is. Yes, Yes, he is. And so I was able to do that. Uh Um, So working, living, just living a vibrant life, a different life, though. Yes. Um, Living, as they say, living a life like it's golden. And it is, yes. And just having a different outlook on life. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I was ever a bad person that I don't think I ever was, but it was just a more lively person, Mm -hmm. a more um, straight shooter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you will. I do understand. Yes. um, You don't waste. I don't waste. You don't waste your words, your feelings. Yes. I mean, even a raindrop is precious. Yes. Yes. And so life was just, it was grand because I felt that I was back. Mm-hmm. I felt, you know, I'm here, like you said. I got mm-hmm. another chance to life. Yeah. And I'm just pushing through and just, you know, traveling and working and just enjoying life. And so I would go to my regular doctor's appointments, mm-hmm. my mammograms mm-hmm. every six, well, every year, and my MRI mm-hmm. every year, my oncologist every year, my gynecologist every year, my breast surgeon every year. So I had those routines. You had relationships. So I had relationships. <laughs> yes. yes. And so this particular relationship was with my um, breast surgeon, and she saw something, and she oh. said, Sonny, do an ultrasound. Just a, she said, Sonny, I just need you to go have an MRI and get mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. checked out, and, and then I'll get the results back, and then maybe we can do a biopsy and just right, check. Right, And so I did, and they found something, and then she said, well, um, for right now, just like calcium calcification, so just monitor, we just monitor you. Okay. So not thinking, and then my dear sister over here was sitting to my left. She would tell me, well, you know, you need to cut back on tea because I love iced tea. <laughs> Get rid of that co- caffeine. So she courageously was talking to me. No, uh-huh. no chocolate. So, you know, all the things you love, cut them the, out. Cut get them out. out. Yeah. And so, I end up going to see my breast surgeon because she did get the results back, and she did a um, a mammogram biopsy. It was a little different. Mm-hmm. And then didn't hear from her for about two weeks. So I'm like, no news is good news. I'm not calling. I don't want to, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just was just pushing through. Then I got that phone call sitting at my job. And she said, hi, Sonny. Because she called me Sonny. I said, hi, how are you? Mm-hmm. She said, well, I just wanted to let you know we did get out your test back. And it was cancer. And I'm like, oh, number two. My gracious. Number two. Mm-hmm. I said, what does this look like for me now? Yeah. And she said, well, it's really not all that bad, but I want you to come in so we can have more of a conversation because this is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's cancer. So I go into her office, and she sits down, and she said, well, it's stage zero. So I'm like, I know people don't want to be diagnosed ever with cancer, but that was like just a gift to my ears. Yes, yes. And so I said, well, what does my treatment plan at that moment look like? And she said, well... You even, she said, well, it's a second cancer. And so it's a new cancer, even though it's a different cancer, but we recommend you take your breast off. Okay, there's the word. Those are the words that women, for so many reasons, what we've done in our culture, hate. What did you feel right at that moment? Like, oh my goodness, here we go again. Okay. I said, is that the only treatment? And she said, well, that's what I recommend. But I do recommend we go in surgery to make sure that you have clean margins, which means, you know, once we remove the the tumor that is clear around those tissue areas. And then I do recommend when you do that, just have your breast removed. Mm -hmm. So I said, I was open to it. And I said, well, I'll go talk to the surgeon. And she recommended the surgeon. And at that moment, I'm struck again. Mm-hmm. Don't like what I'm hearing, what they all have to do. I said, life shows up. I just got a new job. Mm-hmm. I hadn't started yet, and I'm excited because I'm moving, you know, moving on up. So I don't want anything to right, right. derail that. Right. And so I go talk to the the, the surgeon and she was like, yeah, we could take some of your stomach and make the breast. And I'm like, so 
But the only thing I'm thinking at that moment, okay, if you take some of my stomach, is it, it's oh, going to be a tummy it. tap. Stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to have an extra hey, flat you're stomach. You're going through all of this <laughs> yes. and you're still vain. Yeah, I'm still and vain. You're still vain. I right. love it. Okay. Yeah. So I end up saying, it clicked again, second opinion. Good, good, good. Yes. So I go find another breast surgeon, which again, this is the third time I'm mentioning her name, LaJuan. Yes. So LaJuan is. At this moment, she's dealing with breast issues. Okay. So she has a breast surgeon. He's located in Virginia. And so me and my breast surgeon, we didn't, we had an incident that happened that I didn't quite like how she, mm-hmm. how she treated me. So I actually fired her, if you, if that's a good word Yeah, to you say. got an attitude. You checked yes. her out. I got it. <laughs> so I was like, I can't allow you to, at that moment, it wasn't the attitude. It was the way she treated me that I didn't want her no longer touching my body okay so you, we in this healing moment too yeah. so you yeah. need your healthy hands and a healthy way of thinking right 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 to to be able to lay hands mm-hmm. on you mm-hmm. and so that was my initial thought and so i go see the the male uh, breast surgeon he was like from looking all your pathology tests you don't need a mastectomy you just we're just gonna go in there and we're gonna make sure all is well and you good i said no tamoxifen no like can somebody give me something? <laughs> you know, I'm willing to take. Can somebody yeah. give me something so I don't have to deal with this? And then I also took a. I'm, mind you, I took two different types of genetic tests. Okay. Always come back. And yes. With yes. nothing, and so inconclusive. You know, then yeah. nothing. Um, they don't suspect that it was right. Um, it was genetics. Mm-hmm. I said okay, and so um, but I end up having the surgery and. Came out with a clear margin. Now, before the surgery, I had another MRI. Mm-hmm. It came back. Mm-hmm. It came back to s- with nothing. They didn't see anything because my first breast surgeon thought she had gotten that out anyway through the biopsy. Gotcha. And so it's like heaven to my ears. Mm-hmm. But right after that, my mom was diagnosed. Oh, my goodness. With the same type of breast cancer. So I'm like, it has to be genetic. Her yeah. mom her and me yeah so she's actually living with stage zero breast cancer that's the so she, so she didn't go through she didn't go through her uh, choice like be, be her choice was really she didn't mind going through the surgery but she had two minor strokes gotcha and so they yes, want to wait yes 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 but we just monitor her very close and they're not concerned about her because she's much older and they mm-hmm. say the growth process you're right right right, right. so um so I had to deal with that. Yes. On top of me being diagnosed, yes. and she got that because at that very moment they really want to look at her. Yes. And see what something has to be. It's connection and no kidding. The same day that I went in for him, they diagnosed her. Wow. I was like, wow. Yeah, and it's hard to say that was really a blessing because right. when you're in the middle of it, it's like. Bad news. Bad news. Yeah. How do I push through? Right, right, right. And so I had to push through again, and then I had to start a new job, and here I am back on this six-month track. Not a, not a year anymore. I got to yeah. see the oncologist every six months. I got to take mom to see the college. Yes. So we all, have the same, we all have the same doctor, so the same day I take her, she goes with me. Yeah. The gynecologist, I'm back on this six-month track again. So I'm, I'm actually in the fight again. Mm-hmm. You know, constantly, you know, living, trying to, what's really, what is really going on with me? Mm-hmm. Because now you start looking at yourself and how you are dealing with the day-to-day struggles of the world. Is it impacting your health? Yes. And so you do have to take a step back and look in the mirror and say, mm-hmm. what can you do different in terms of response, mm-hmm. in terms of life, in mm-hmm. terms of eating? And mm-hmm. health and so forth. And so you changed some of that. I did. I changed. The chocolate is on the shelf. The chocolate is on the, the shelf. The tea is in somebody else's yes. refrigerator. Yes. Okay. Yes. I I'm did. just checking. Checking. That's right. Because my courageous sister. Yeah. And so, um, so I juice more. I Good. eat healthy more. Good. Um, I do try to work out. I'm not a big fan of workout because mm-hmm. I'm such a tiny person. I've always had that vein that I don't have to work out. I know. <laughs> I had a I had a mommy about your size and I used to look at her and go, Really? 
<laughs> so I do try to work out. Um, uh-huh. My stress level can, because I'm a very high energetic, yes. uh, energetic person. So I try to really try to. Do you meditate or do yoga or anything? I try to do the yoga, but I do meditation every morning. Okay, good. I sit on my bed and I meditate uh-huh. uh, for about 15 minutes. No phone, no good TV, for you. nothing. I've learned how to incorporate Now that that's in. your courageous conversation with yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and I love it mm-hmm. because I'm ready to turn 46. So my oh, birthday is May baby. 1st. So May 1st. And so, yeah, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to live. Yeah, And so, because life showed up for me a lot early. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you do your homework? No, I didn't. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Well, for my listening audience, I always ask my guest to write a letter to themselves, their younger self. And some of my guests just are delinquents. (laughs) Some of them say, I don't want to do that. And some of them go, oh, really, Tyra? And those who do go, you know, that was a good experience. Well, I'm going to give you, actually, you did a letter when you talked about the affirmations with your son. Yeah. And so I'm going to give you a partially passing grade. Thank you. And what I'm going to give you is an opportunity to just kind of think for a moment. Your son is, or your invisible daughter is sitting in front of you now. What would you say to them to help them uh, walk authentically through life and not be afraid to be vulnerable? I think I would tell them both that tap into your spirit. Mm -hmm. Spirituality is key to your well-being. Yes, yes. And seek wisdom. Yes. Listen more. Uh huh. Talk less. Uh huh. Surround yourself around elders. I like that. Elders, I love being around older people mm-hmm. because I, 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 my appetite for the wisdom is so, it's, it's just so, it's so awesome. So just, um, and speak and, and listen to yourself, your inner voice. You have to tap, you have to know who you are and be okay with who you are. Okay, I'm going to say that again. You have to tap into your inner self. Yes. And listen to that voice. Yes. And be okay with what it's telling you. And what I'm going to do is use that as a segue, because, you know, I like to kind of deposit something, a little something, something, which I call a spiritual doggy bag at the end of each of our shows. And I was I was looking up... Uh, Little writings, conversations. I read some books on conversations, courageous conversations. And I want to share just a few words with you before we say goodnight. Okay? All right. So uh, all of our lives have difficult realities. What we do is find peace, and what we should do, actually, is to find peace in the midst of a storm. Today, I want to leave you with the following thoughts that I hope you find empowering and encouraging. Spiritual healing begins when we look at different realities of our lives. Excuse me. We have to look with honesty, with compassion, yes, and most of all with courage. Powerful spiritual practices like awareness meditation teach us to become sensitive to our interior landscape. See this? Let's get into that spiritual landscape. Then, instead of indulging our temptation to turn away and find relief, Instead of a place of calm, spiritual practices tell us to move toward the points of turmoil and dive in. This takes tremendous courage because here we face the parts of ourselves that we have worked so hard to avoid ever seeing or being seen. It's crucial that this be done with inquisitiveness and compassion, not judgment or condemnation. This requires that we love ourselves enough to find out what hurts 
and resolve to heal it without the tired old childish fear that we will be abandoned. We're not going to be abandoned. We have to do this so that we can live freely and truly be a blessing. With spiritual courage, we ask ourselves, what is the most painful thing that someone could say to me or that I could tell myself? We might answer something like you're a ne uh, negligent parent, you're selfish, you don't matter. You'll never amount to anything. No one loves you. You're so incompetent. You're ordinary. You're an insensitive jerk. Hmm. Next, we have to go toward the emotions that generate inviting critical voice to speak and commit to listen. We must continue to explore with the tone of observation, going deeper, feeling the emotions that arise within an open heart, and most importantly, staying longer than is comfortable. Just like lifting weights, we only grow when we lift more than we thought we could, and more than we did yesterday. I want to say that one more time. We only grow when we lift more than we thought we could, and more than we did yesterday. This practice builds spiritual muscles that allow us to face our most difficult challenges with more strength and courage. So if we stay long enough, we find out that the critical voice is spent. As the emotions begin to dissipate, we see that this place is not scary. As a matter of fact, it's a new landscape that's fascinating because we see the things that we'd rejected are simply another component of us, our humanity. So many of the roles that, rules, excuse me, that we thought governed our lives are only fabrications. Here, the fierce grip of our self-image softens. And with that, I'm gonna let Mr. Beethoven say to you, you are worthy. You are you are who you were created to be. You're not your circumstances. Most importantly, you're not alone. You have everything you need inside of you to be who you were created to be. And oh, by the way, I'm here. And I hear you. Your seat at this table is guaranteed. I invite you to join us every week. Our guest has been Ms. Sunny Crow. Our topic, Courageous Conversations. Check us out at www.radiofairfax.org. Until next time, bye now. <laughs>